What a beautiful song. Magnify the Lord with me. Come exalt his name forever. It's easy to think that uh, if only everybody in the world lived that way, things would be better. But uh, what we're going to see today as we continue this series in Ephesians is that uh, there's a difference between longing for our world to change, waiting for everybody else uh, to change, which is how we often live, and the life that Jesus calls us to, which is a life where we change and where God makes room for us. So let's uh, open up our Bibles together, or you can uh, open up an app, or you can just follow along uh, Maybe close your eyes or or just uh, find a spot on the wall to listen or to focus on and listen as I read for us Ephesians chapter 4. As I said earlier, we're continuing this theme of uh, Ephesians, which is this is who we are in Christ. Uh, This is us in Christ, but we're also making room for Christ, the theme of of, uh, Lent, excuse me. And so as we, as I planned out this series, it was my hope and prayer and now my expectation that um, the book of Ephesians dovetails very uh, strongly and very well with the themes of Lent. And so we'll test that theory this morning. Paul is continuing uh, after his prayer for the saints last week, uh, kneeling before the Father. Um, he says, therefore, I as a servant, or excuse me, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things or the entire universe. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we've said several times in this service, Lent is about making room for Jesus. Lent, uh, the, the roots of Lent go all the way back to the roots of the early church. It was first called Lent in the 6th century, so the 500s AD. But the tradition goes out back even further than that, to the time of Constantine, the Roman emperor in uh, the 300s. When, uh, when Constantine made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire, uh, something interesting happened. A lot of people started coming to church. And we talked about, when we went through the series on Revelation, we talked about uh, how in the ancient world, religion and economics and politics were very much intertwined. 
And so when Constantine made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire, it became very economically and politically advantageous to be a Christian. And so thousands of people, including many political and business leaders from across the Roman Empire, decided that they too wanted to become Christians. And the church uh, was, in many ways, overrun, was, was challenged by people who wanted to convert to Christianity en masse to do, maybe, maybe really to follow Jesus, but at least to do what the emperor had done. And so in responding to these people all coming to church, the church in the fourth century began to institute a process of discipleship, 40 days of discipleship that later became Lent. They asked potential Christians to join them for 40 days of practice and teaching to explore what it meant to make room for Jesus in their lives. Not to carve out a a quarter or a little bit of their life here or there, not to carve out an hour out of their schedule each week or a corner in their desires or their finances, but to make room for Jesus at the very center of their beings. You see, Christians were perhaps rightly worried that people would begin to call themselves Christians for the wrong reasons because of some political or economic or social advantage rather than because they really wanted Jesus at the center. And so this is the origins of Lent. 40 days practicing a sort of microcosm or an intensive of the Christian life. 40 days of deciding, do I really want to make room for Jesus? And if after 40 days people did, then they were welcomed into the church. They were baptized and welcomed into that mystical union of the body of Christ. It's interesting to me to know some of that history because it seems to me that today our world seems very different. People aren't running to the church en masse. In fact, sometimes it's even hard as Christians for us to come regularly, whether here or somewhere else. In fact, uh, and, and the second difference is linked to the first, I think, which is that it tends not to be politically or socially or economically advantageous to be a Christian in our society. The days of blue laws are gone, and much of that is good. Um, but many people have plans for work or rest or recreation or travel or anything on a Sunday or a weekend that they can't fit into the rest of their lives. In a society that's consumed by a fear of missing out, it feels like if you don't go to church on Sunday, you won't really miss out on anything. So what do we do as Christians? What does Lent look like for us and what does uh, Scripture call us to in a society today that's perhaps very different than the the first century society and the the 300s when Constantine made Christianity legal or the the official Roman Empire religion and when uh, Lent began? What do we do? My suggestion, my strong contention for you is that we do exactly the same thing that the early Christians did. We submit ourselves to the 40-day painful process of making room for Jesus. 
And more than that, we submit ourselves to the lifetime of making room for Jesus. After all, despite the reality that our world and our culture has changed many times over since uh, Jesus lived and preached and died and resurrected to new life, our faith remains still centered on Jesus. We make room for Jesus. This is what it means to, or what we ought to be doing today. To make room for Jesus, not in the corners of our budget, not in the margins of our schedule, but at the very center of our lives. I'd like to think, I certainly don't know this, but I'd like to think that when the early Christians were coming up with this idea of Lent, that they were reflecting on Paul's letter to the Ephesians, particularly on chapter 4 here. Because the unity that Paul talks about all throughout the letter to the Ephesians, and specifically here in chapter 4, the unity is a really slippery thing. It's a really difficult thing. And it's difficult because it's hard. If it was easy, we would do unity well all the time, but it's not. And so it's much easier for us to talk about unity than to actually do it instead. The truth, I think, is that most of us like being right, or at least we don't like admitting that we're wrong. We like things the way we like them, and we don't want to change. And we don't like them when they're not the way we like them. But unity, real unity, means we have to rub shoulders with other people. We have to put, other people, put up with other people's annoying habits, with their hurtful comments. We have to realize that we're not always going to be the center. We're not always going to get our way. We're going to be annoyed. We're going to be frustrated. We're going to be confused. We're going to get tired. Why else would Paul challenge Christians to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient, and to bear with one another in love? You see, Paul understood that not only everything in our culture, in the world around us, but also everything in our sinful hearts pushes us to make our lives about ourselves. And so we get annoyed, we get frustrated, we get tired and confused. And we need, if we're going to make room for Jesus, to learn humility, to learn to practice gentleness, to embrace patience, and to be bearing with, or, or uh, to use a word that came up this morning in our teaching time, to be long-suffering with others in love. See, everything in our world suggests to us rather strongly that it's everybody else who needs to change. Politicians share about their great plans and criticize whoever the opposition is. Celebrities call out whoever is a popular target of the day for hate speech, but they neglect to examine or share their own power or wealth or influence. Even fear of coronavirus. Think about our reaction to that. Most often, the reactions that I've heard lead us to criticize the Chinese, right? A nation that's far away from us. Or maybe to clam up and stay at home. Our reaction tends not to be to examine our pockets, our foreign policy, or to wonder what we can do to help. It's somebody else's problem. They need to fix it. 
Everything in our world suggests to us that it's everyone else who needs to change. Even many Christians today long for a day not unlike the days of Constantine, when everybody else would flock to church, when they would change and be like us. The great value of our age, it turns out, is not unity, but tolerance. Tolerance is a poor substitute for unity. Tolerance really demands that everybody else change to be like me. Tolerance insists that other people change to accommodate my life. And and, and when you think about that for a moment, it's perhaps no surprise that tolerance leads to outrage, to impatience, to gossip, that tolerance, tolerance exacerbates rifts because it stares at everybody else and refuses to examine ourselves. If tolerance insists that everybody else needs to change, then when they don't change, we get angry. We get impatient. We talk about them behind their back. We move ourselves away. We say, I can't disagree with, I can't be associated with that person. Unity, on the other hand, unity demands that I change to accommodate others. With one very important caveat that I change to become more like Jesus to accommodate others. You see, real unity demands that we be changed. If we are Christians and if we want to make room for Christ, then we need to be different. God calls us to be different than who we are. Not just to confess our sin to God, as we did earlier in the service, but actually to leave our lives of sin behind. Not just to talk about the importance of humility and gentleness and patience, but actually to be humble, to become gentle, to practice patience. This is why Paul, or what Paul calls us to do. And Paul doesn't want us to forget that he is not just a messenger of the word of God, but also a prisoner for the Lord. That Paul also has embodied the message that he's bringing. That he's practicing, albeit imperfectly, a life of following Jesus. And that he has embraced suffering because Jesus is at the center of his life. For Paul, or for any of us, to really follow in the way of Jesus, to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, well, it's just something that is impossible for us to do, except with two things. We're never going to walk in a manner worthy of our calling unless we have this perfect example of Jesus to follow and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what God has given us. He's given us exactly what we need to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. We can't do it in our own strength. It's impossible without him. It just degenerates into this sort of bland tolerance. But because we have the Holy Spirit living in us, and because we have the perfect example of Jesus to follow and to to aim and direct our lives at, what is impossible becomes possible. When Paul preaches, he doesn't point to himself 
even in this text, as a perfect example, but rather to Jesus as the perfect example. He reminds us that the Jesus who descended from, or who ascended to heaven, also descended from heaven to earth. He reminds us that Jesus was perfectly humble, perfectly gentle, and perfectly patient. And that Jesus' perfect obedience to God won us unity, perfect union with God. Through his suffering and death, Jesus created room for us to be in perfect relationship with God. When we create room for Jesus at the center of our lives, as a res- we only do it as a response to Jesus already creating room for us to be in right relationship with God. And when we create room for Jesus to be at the center, we find that all those things that have been cluttering up our lives, things like, like selfishness, things like our, our perspective being locked on or, or, or closed to the rest of the world and we're only able to see what we want to see. When we create room for Jesus at the center, we find that as that clutter moves, we not only have room for Jesus, but we also have room for others. You see, we, do, we don't become humble or gentle because other people deserve it. We don't become patient or loving because other people have earned our patience or earned our love. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we we can and do grow in these characteristics because Jesus comes closer and closer to the center of our being. And his life flows out of us. And so we begin to act more like him. Not because others deserve it, but because he is in us, filling us, making room for us and for others to flourish. So our unity, the unity that Paul calls us to here, the unity that the message or that Ephesians is largely about, unity is a lot more than just tolerance. Our unity with God and with one another doesn't demand that the world change around us. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. We testify in word and in deed that Jesus is our life. We're not swept up chasing praise or notoriety, trying to get people, other people to see how good we are because our eyes are on Jesus. And likewise, we are not discouraged when we're criticized or ignored because Jesus is our life. In the season of Lent and in reading Ephesians, we are joined with Christ and with the church in all times and all places in this mystical union that we've talked about in past weeks. And that union with Christ and union with the body of Christ goes all the way back to Constantine, to Jesus and his disciples, and to the psalmists, the people of God in the Old Testament. And when we're joined together with Jesus, when Jesus is at the center, then we can disagree about just about everything else. When, the, when we rest in the room that Christ has made for us, And when we intentionally make space for others, we find that we are eager to embrace their differences. 
We're eager to embrace their brokenness because we don't see their differences and others' brokenness as a, as a threat. Rather, we see our shared humanity and our shared broken humanity. And we see in others' brokenness ourselves and our own need to bring our brokenness to Christ and to set it down at the foot of the cross and to make space at the center of who we are along with the rest of God's people to make room for Jesus. When we are united with Christ and with the church, we learn the necessity of unity, the necessity of humility and gentleness, of patience and love, which allow us to live in unity. The Holy Spirit given to all of God's people and to each of us empowers us to be like Jesus. And so we have much to celebrate. And our lives of celebration testify to our world that Christ is in us and that every day he is becoming more and more the center of our lives, more and more our life itself, the source of our life. So as we go into this, we're going to have a potluck in a few minutes. We're going to have a week of work, of friends, of family, of school, perhaps. We're going to have a week of uh, normal life. But we're also entering into this time of Lent, this time where Christians for hundreds of years have said, this is an uh, intensive practice of making room for Jesus. And so as we go into our ordinary life, we celebrate that we do not go alone. That God has made room for us in relationship with him. And so we invite Jesus into the center of our lives. And so as we do that, as we just set aside a little more time in prayer again, I invite you to consider how making room for Jesus in your life at the center will also make room for others to flourish and to live alongside you. Please pray with me. Father God, we come to you this morning and we celebrate that you are are our life. As we just sang before the service, we want to magnify you, Lord. We want to make your name great. We want to celebrate that the good that we have, the grace that we have, everything we have that's worth having is a gift from you. And so thank you, Father, for giving us this new life, the life of Christ. And as we continue to battle as individuals and as a community, as we continue to battle against sin, against selfishness, against that old self, that old man within us, God, continue to move in move into our neighborhoods, move into our community here at the church, move into our hearts and help us to follow you. God, may we make room for you, not at the edges, not at the margins, not when it suits us, but make room for you to be at the center so that when we follow, we recognize and celebrate that you are leading and that your leading is good for us and good for for our world. God, all the glory 
all the honor goes to you. And we praise you for your great love and your suffering that makes room for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to uh, close our service by singing together this we believe, the words of the Apostles' Creed. And so uh, this is an opportunity as we finish the uh, sermon to stand and profess our faith together in Jesus. So please stand.